0: My guest on the program today is Chris Rain. Chris is the founder and former CEO of Hello Sunday Morning. That's an organization that challenges young people to give up alcohol for three, six or 12 months at a time. Chris's goal is to break his generation's unhealthy obsession with binge drinking. Chris is a mental health and addiction social entrepreneur. He's now running a new business called Clean State Clinic. Chris is the 2023 Roth Siegel John Monash Harvard Scholar. He's also a Queensland Young Australian of the Year. Chris, a very warm welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So I'll get to Hello Sunday morning in a moment, but I'm keen to begin to look at what life was like before all of that began. So Chris, perhaps we can start with where you grew up.
1: I uh, worked on Hello Sunday Morning for 10 years and then left that a few years ago and now uh, I'm focused on a new startup which is called Clean Slate Clinic which provides a GP-led home detox for people that need to do that detox from home. Um, But putting that aside, it's still working in addiction and mental health which is my real passion. And where I grew up is in Caloundra in Queensland, um, up in the north of Australia.
0: I was up there recently. Went to Double Island Point. It's a great spot. It is. It's a great spot. A good spot to visit in winter too. Nice and warm. Yeah. Big, fa- big family, Chris.
1: My dad's been married three times. My mum twice. And of, of all that, we now have. Uh, I've got thirteen siblings. Um. So we have a very big family. <laughs> and I've got four parents. Yeah, I'm very lucky to have the family that I have. We're a big mixed bunch, but um, there's a lot of love and a lot of care and support. So it's a it's a good one.
0: That'd make um, it very hard at Christmas to work out logistics, who's going where and who's doing what.
1: You have to have a, an air traffic controller's temperament and a, a good understanding of the subtle politics of different family dynamics, but
0: <laughs> you know, it
1: holds me in good stead for doing an MPA degree at Harvard, I think. Um, I think I've got a head start. And, and
0: what about school? Where did you go to school, Chris?
1: I went to Caloundra Primary and then five years at prison Grammar School as a boarder. Then I uh, lived in Uruguay for a year, doing a gap year there, and then came back and did my undergraduate at University of the Sunshine Coast. And then started hello started hello Sunday morning, and then midway through, I did an MBA at Oxford University, and then another five, uh, sorry, ten years later, and now doing this uh, degree at Harvard.
0: What was your undergrad degree? Oh, uh, it was the first two years with,
1: in partying, and the second two years I think was <laughs> business arts, which are uh, you know the first first couple of years I didn't take too seriously and was probably a little bit lost with what who I was and what I wanted to do and then went through uh, some great change about halfway through the degree and really got into it and became really passionate about entrepreneurship and building communities and probably building the, the skills that I think I'm best at which is building connections and partnerships and, and growing things from scratch and, and the University of the Sunshine Coast was a, a great uh, format for that because the, it was a new university so a lot of things need to be created and And that was a really great start and a really great education for me in that regard.
0: So what was it that sparked that entrepreneurial fire halfway through your degree?
1: Well, actually what happened was uh, I had, you know, I kind of came back, I started university. My mom actually put my university preferences in when I got back from South America and I was very, I wasn't in a great place and she kind of took care of me at that point and, and Thought going to uni in Sunshine Coast was would be a good thing because I'd be close to home, and then you know I wasn't I was kind of I had depression and wasn't in a great space, and then I had a particular bad incident, um, and uh, you know <laughs> got pretty badly rejected by the girl that I fell in love with, uh, which now looking back was was something quite quite remarkable, um, the way I felt about her. But then um, my dad, um, I went over to his house one day and I was really hungover and he was like, you know what, I think you should go and do this personal development course that might help you. He did it a few years before and it was called Real Man um, in Brisbane. And I did that and it was a really great experience for me because it, you know, I'd never seen a therapist before, never never spoke to a psychologist or done any of that kind of work. And it was my first introduction to that um, and looking at the kind of inner world of myself and why I was the way I was and, and what was kind of holding me back. And it kind of helped me clear the lenses. And, um, you know, I did that over the uni break in between those two years and it was like a whole different experience, you know, before I used to hate going to university, hate going to classes or get, do anything to get out of it. And then that next first semester I came back and it was like that first class, I heard her talk about someone, uh, a, a guy in communications, a guy called Edward Bernays, who was who kind of started the field of public relations. And there was this internal belief. I was like, I could do that. Like It was a light yeah. and day. Yeah. And from there I just sort of developed this sense of, um, belief in myself that has really held me in good stead and, and you know and I'm so grateful that my dad suggested that I do that course and and even that work doing you know seeing psychologists and getting support in that way that's been incredibly important for me personally but also in my work that's the thing that I'm really passionate about is making um, that that area of our lives more accessible to more people.
0: So, when you left university, you finished your undergrad degree, you've had this personal awakening. What did you do then?
1: So, the second half of my university, I worked as a nightclub promoter and in advertising. I was an intern at an advertising agency. And that you know was super fun, um, but a lot of it was really built around binge drinking on both those professions. And I was a big drinker myself. And then um, at the agency, we had a brief come across my table, which was around youth binge drinking. And I was I was really curious about it and I sort of was wondering, you know, how we as an agency would actually develop a campaign that would make any difference to my drinking or my friends' drinking, my family's drinking. And so I decided to do a research project where I wouldn't drink for a whole year, and then write about what I learned every Sunday morning. Um, and the name of the blog that I wrote was called Hello Sunday Morning.
0: Yep. And what, what year was this, roughly, Chris? It was
1: 2009. So, yeah, so 2009, I uh, wrote this blog, and then, you know, the, it grew a bit of a, a following online, and it became really a calling for me to find better ways for people to access support and care uh, for the rougher bits of our lives, whether that be drinking or depression or anxiety. And that's what I've been doing for nearly the last 15 years.
0: And so how did Hello Sunday Morning, the the organization rather than just a, a blog, how did that begin?
1: As I was writing this weekly blog, going out on Sunday mornings um, and we'd go out to my kind of friends and family and then they were, you know, got a media article Um, that sort of extended it a bit further and it became quite interesting. And then my housemate at the time was like, you know what, I'd love to do this as well. I'd like to take a break from drinking and write about it. And initially I was like, nah, man, this is, you know, my own thing. Like, and I felt like it was kind of cramping my style, but I relented (laughs) thankfully. Get your own. I know, (laughs) I know, just my ego really. And then, but then he started writing on it and doing his own thing. And then a couple of other friends did and then, you know, it it just snowballed from there. Um, People were like, oh, I want to do that too. And there was something really interesting and powerful about it. And then the community just developed and and it's just grown and grown. And the organization just developed to support that growing community, Um, became a nonprofit, started working with government and, you know, philanthropy to fund it and grow it and keep growing it. And and today it's, you know, one of the largest communities in the world for people that are dealing with this challenge in their lives. And, but it's always come from that organic place. And, it, and if you go on and, and see the platform, it's very much a, uh, an expression of that authentic desire to change one life, one's life. And so that's, yeah, it sort of grew very, from something very small into something that is, you know, well beyond my wildest expectation.
0: So, how many people since you set it all up do you think have gone through that program and that you've that you've helped?
1: Yeah, so I haven't been in. The, I left the organisation as CEO three years ago, um, and there was a hundred thousand people there. So something in north of that um, had gone through the program, and which is pretty amazing. I mean, when you consider Alcoholics Anonymous has twenty thousand members in Australia. And this is, you know, a little bit different to Alcoholics Anonymous, but in the same vein. It's something that's really, the fact that it's online, it's accessible, it's free uh, and anonymous, uh, and, you know, it doesn't require a person necessarily to quit drinking forever, I think, has broadened its appeal to a much larger organization, uh, much larger population. So, yeah, and it just continues to grow. It's still going really well today.
0: So during your time there as CEO, there must have been, some amazing stories that you came across. Can you can you point to any off the top of your head of memorable moments of, of people that have had an awakening?
1: Yeah, the, the the ones that really stick with me and I'll I'll have two. There's like a kind of a funny one that I like, and then there's a probably a deeper one. The the first one is that the funny stories are when people talk about um, you know, Waking up on on in the morning, like they would write the, about these experiences of waking up and hearing their neighbors being go into the, into the garbage bin and all the, the bottles that oh, rattle out, and then and then you know, and then, and then they'd go to their bin and there'd, be, there'd be like paper and silence, and just these small little moments that people would reflect on on daybreak. Um, is really. It's it's sort of they're interesting and important to people in that sense of self-actualization. So I always love reading those. And the second story is uh probably after after I, I was on um after I was working on Hello Sunday morning, I left Hello Sunday morning and and went and, and made many friends of people on the platform. Um through doing it then we had many events and things like that. And an interesting thing happened was um, well, I was I went and and stayed with this friend and um and and her family and whilst I was there she had a, a relapse um, and what was really interesting about that or, and also challenging is whilst I'd been you know CEO of this all this tech organisation and read all these really powerful stories I'd never seen or experienced it. In, The person with a really intense relapse go through it in real life you know in my family or and being around Mm. the kitchen and um and it really like right at the end most people think i have this story at the beginning and that's why i set it up but for some whatever reason the universe gave me this experience at the end and i was like wow this is something that is really difficult for a lot of families uh and complicated and full of conflicting and difficult emotions and it strangely really validated this work and I thought maybe I'd you know go and do something else but then having that experience right at the end was like yeah this is this is what I'm meant to be doing is to be right here doing you know helping helping people and families
0: and communities with these challenges. So tell us about the role that you're doing now the business that you mentioned a little earlier um, I'm keen to know how that's developed, what you're doing.
1: Yeah. So whilst was a hell a Sunday morning, um, one of the challenges that's really unique to alcohol is that if you're a heavy daily drinker and you stop drinking, uh, there's a risk of firstly withdrawal symptoms, uh, then seizures and even death. Uh, and a lot of people don't know that. Uh, people just think, you know, if you're doing some form of drug that if you just stop it, you'd be fine and it's going—it's hard at the beginning. But in the case of alcohol, it can actually be dangerous. And whilst I was there, there was a GP, a guy called Dr. Chris Davis, who was doing this program to make it easy for people to go through a, a medicated detox, which is what you need, um, through his GP clinic. So normally people have to go to hospitals or rehab and that's either expensive or hard to access. And so he had this program um, that I knew about, and a lot of people we referred within Sydney, we referred to, to him, and, and he referred his patients onto Daybreak. But, you know, there's a much larger population around the country and even the world that need this kind of service. So, him and I, and this fantastic you know, woman by the name of Pia Clinton Taristad, who headed up Deloitte's healthcare practice. Um, formed a, a company that took his has taken his program and, and provides it through telehealth so that anyone across Australia can access mm-hmm. a, an affordable effective detox from their home and we've done now detoxes you know right across western Queensland Western New South Wales and then also in the the metro areas of Australia and it's a really exciting opportunity because it's something that is really needed um it's something that has a a really effective rate a a low relapse rate for people that do it and it's affordable you know it's not not it's not tens of thousands of dollars it's only a few thousands of dollars to get even better outcomes than what you might get if you you go to a facility so it's it's a, a program that i'm really excited about being part of and to continue to build
0: and how has that building process gone, Chris? How has the business changed since you first set it up?
1: Yeah, so we started two years ago and um, it's continued to grow. We have a team of clinicians of about 15 people now, doctors, um, alcohol and drug nurses. Uh, we work with primary healthcare networks across the country. So we, it's a, as a social enterprise, what's really important is for us to work in regional remote areas and with Indigenous service providers so that uh you know there's equity of care and this service is available across the country to those that don't normally get it but then we also have a health insurer contract with uh, bupa to provide the detox to their patients as well so it's it's going really well i mean it's not without challenges but um we've now detoxed i think 250 people across the country and that continues to grow and our aim is to get to 5,000. Uh, over the next five years and you know perhaps expand abroad or deepen our work in different ways but um it's a it's a very it's a really exciting proposition um and it's a fantastic team so um they've been very generous and my co-founding team in letting me come and study for the year and i work a day a week on that whilst i'm here and um and you know hopefully afterwards i can bring some great skills into continue to expand the business.
0: You've mentioned study, and I should have pointed out that you're joining us from Boston because you're about to begin your studies at Harvard University, probably, or one of the most prestigious universities on planet Earth. So tell me about your journey to the John Monash Scholarship, Chris. How did you go about applying? Why did you apply? And I'm keen to know how you felt when you got that lucky phone call.
1: Yeah, so I first heard about it actually through a, uh, another John Monash scholar, a guy called Sam Wills. Um, he was studying at the same time as I was in in Oxford, and it sounded pretty bloody good. And I was like, that'd be an amazing experience. And and then ten years down the road, I felt it was the right time to go back and study again. And um, you know the. The privilege and experience to to be a John Monash Scholar really came first to, when I, when I was thinking about applying for scholarships and um, to support the the dream that I had of studying over here and um, and so yeah applied and um, you know did the the essays and then the interviews and it's quite it's actually harder to get into the John Monash Scholarship than it was to get into the the Harvard degree. Um, and you know so I think the by virtue of that when I got that phone call you know I was in tears like I remember I was walking down the airport um, coming home for some from somewhere and um yeah I got the call from from marie the CEO and and it was a um, yeah it was one of those magical moments in life where you, know, you just feel very grateful for it and uh, and I
0: still feel that way so what are you going to be studying? Tell us about the work you're going to be doing there at Harvard.
1: So the course that I'm about to begin in a couple of weeks is called a Mid-Career Masters in Public Administration. And it's a unique degree at Harvard Kennedy School, which essentially it's it's a, a, a Masters in Public Administration, but focused on people that are you know, further on in their degree. So rather than something very prescriptive in terms of what you study, like a, an MPP or an MBA, um, you do a, an initial semester where you do all the intense subjects that are course requirements to get the qualification. And then following that, you the next two semesters, you have a much greater span of electives that you can do across all the graduate schools at Harvard University, outside Kennedy School, and also at MIT. and you. Kind of craft your own master's program according to what you want to do and my, what I want to do is really look at how to have a better impact on alcohol and drug policy and government financing for that work which is typically underfunded and under-resourced and so I'm really looking for innovative ways uh, to do that uh, back in Australia. So I'm hoping that's what I can learn and that's what I can bring back uh, to the country when I complete the course.
0: And when's that, when, when, if everything being equal, everything goes well, when do you hope to finish the course?
1: Um, yeah. Ho- hopefully I don't flunk it out. Um, and I'll, I'll be back in, in May <laughs> next year and, well, finishes in May next year and, and yeah, but it's a, uh, it's a, it's, I'm just taking it one week at a time because I'm not the most... It, academic. Is Academics are hard for me to master, so I really need to work hard at it. So yeah, I'm slightly nervous about it, but also excited.
0: You sound tenacious enough to me. Now, you've mentioned Oxford a few times in the MBA, so wedged in between all of this, you managed to also go to another prestigious university, this time in the UK. Tell us about your experience at at Oxford and what you did there.
1: That I mean, so as I did an MBA there, and the Oxford dream really happened when I was in boarding school, and um, I was really like many, like many people experience in boarding school uh, quite badly physically bullied by some of the older kids, and my mum said asked me if I wanted to leave the school, or she would give me boxing lessons and and. And she also gave me this book, The Power of One. And in the book, the main character, PK, has his dream of going on to Oxford and and then he does that. So it was some a seed that was planted early on in my life. And then I felt like and but I'd never had the grades in high school to do it. And then halfway through doing Hello Sunday morning, there was a one of the directors in the, the at Oxford came over and gave a talk in Australia and and just by good fortune she was like why don't you come and study and do an MBA and there's this thing called a scholarship that you can get and I was like it just re-sparked that dream again and so yeah studied for all the entrance exams and went through that process and got to go there and it was yeah a real dream come true uh for me and then the experience itself was it was a magical um year and one that you know it was such a a rich and enriching experience that I was like, you know, I want to go back and study again. So that was 10 years ago and it really led to, to wanting to go back and, and do this, this course uh, to have a similar kind of experience and, and that for this opportunity, I'm, I'm so
0: grateful. Well, Chris, you've packed a lot into your 36 years on earth. We wish you well at Boston. Good luck uh, in your studies at Harvard. Congratulations on the scholarship and everything that you've done. And thank you very much for coming onto the program today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. And uh, I just want to say how grateful I am to receive the scholarship. It's uh, a real privilege and one that I hope I I, do our country proud with.
0: Well said and good luck. Thanks,
1: mate.